Welcome to What's Your Plan, a podcast dedicated to offering D.C. residents and their families resources and solutions to one of society's biggest challenges, the caregiving and long-term care crisis. Here's your host, long-term care specialist, Noel A. Evans. Hello, everybody. Uh, First of all, even though it's uh, almost February, Happy New Year to everyone. Since we haven't recorded uh, this year due to a a combination of illness and weather events here in D.C., but uh, we're back today, and I'm super excited to kick off the 2024 uh, episode of What's Your Plan, my podcast dedicated to helping consumers navigate the long-term care and caregiving planning a world that I feel is so important to educate people about. What's Your Plan is uh, generously produced by dcradio.gov. And today I'm really excited to have as my guest, Scott Olson. Um, Scott, let's start out with how are you and where are you? I'm doing great, uh, Noel. I'm I'm currently in the state of Texas. We're in the process of building a home here. And uh, great. Uh, we're, we're living in temporary quarters. Okay. So, but uh, it's okay. We'll be, uh, we should be, uh, uh, we, we just will be, should be closing on our house in Washington that we sold. Uh, uh, that should be closing within a few weeks and uh, we'll should be able to move into our new house within a couple months. Great. So you just came from Washington State to Texas. So we'll talk about Washington State a little bit in our, our conversations uh, today. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's fantastic. Scott, tell us about uh, how you um, got into the long-term care industry and a little bit about what you do and, and, and you know, how people can uh, find you. Great. Yeah. Um, well, I, I started as an insurance agent in 1995 with John Hancock in Tampa, Florida. Great. Okay? And- Back then, uh, John, most of the John Hancock agencies required that every new agent sell only one product, and that was long-term care insurance. Right. Okay? And, uh, um, and they, they required everybody to do that just to get their feet wet and get, get, get used to the business. And uh, I loved it so much, I never branched out to anything else. So all I do is long-term care. And uh, so um, I, my my wife and I created a website about uh, 15 years ago called ltcshop.com. And uh, uh, we get lots of visitors from all 50 states. I'm I'm licensed in all 50 states. My wife is licensed in all 50 states. And we we help people shop for long-term care insurance. That is great. And Scott, I think uh, I want to tell the audience the purpose of our podcast today, we're going to do two episodes, mm-hmm. is um, you know, the New York Times, which I, you know, I read the New York Times and, and I've sure. always been a fan of, um, but like all journalism, they need to be held accountable. And they recently yeah. wrote an article, um, you know, really uh, about the long-term care industry, but I think you and I both agree that it was a flawed article and that it admitted a lot and that it really did not accurately portray uh, the long-term care industry of today. Now, we can talk about the long-term care insurance industry going back uh, to when I got, you know, you, you mentioned you started with John Hancock. I did too. But in 2007, <laughs> a lot has changed, right? So why don't yeah. we first just briefly touch on uh, the, the most recent article they wrote and tell yeah. us a little bit about that, the headline, and then we'll go and try to, um, you know, make some counterpoints to that article. Yeah, Um the article would have been very accurate if it was written in 1994 right. or three. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but it, it just completely ignores 
everything that has happened in the industry since then. Right. And, and I mean, it's, it's, there's, what else can I say about that? I mean, it's, the article is pretending as if, or um, probably the writers are probably unaware of all the improvements that have been made to long-term care insurance over the years. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the example that they give, and I forget the, I forget the exact title of it. It was, uh, um, I don't know, long-term care insurance falls short for many. Something That's like right. That. That's right. Yeah. And, you know, and, and their example is a policy that was purchased in the 1980s that didn't even have any home care benefits. Mm. And, and I mean, that's, if, if all, you know, no, if, if every long-term care insurance policy was like the, like what they described in the article, I wouldn't sell long-term care insurance. Either would I. And neither would you. And exactly. None of, none of right. us would. And, and Scott, <laughs> just to refresh um, yeah. the memory, the article was titled, uh, it was published on November 22nd. So right, right. before Thanksgiving, why yeah. long-term care insurance falls short for so many. Yeah. All right. And, 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 you know, again, I wanted to say that we are not here to do a hit job on the New York Times. We mm-hmm. wish that the authors of this article had done some research and spoken to people about where the industry is today, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, and, they left out a lot of important things. I don't know. Yeah. Let's, start, yeah. Let's yeah. talk about that. Let's talk about, you know, let's, 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 let's do this the right way. At okay. one time, um, the long-term care insurance industry, which is relatively new compared to all other insurances, except for maybe pet insurance, um, you know, was was designed on certain assumptions and data and mm-hmm. actuarial information. Okay, so if you go back to when uh, long-term care insurance first was created, which I think Scott was in the seventies, right? Yeah. Um, then became more popular in the eighties and then the nineties. Mm-hmm. Um, what did they not have? What did the industry not have that made future policies, you know, policies fall short from that that were sold initially? Well, there were a lot of things wrong with the earlier policies. I mean, they the they had um, a lot of gatekeepers. Right. Okay, so for example, you know, a lot of the policies that were sold in the seventies and the eighties, and even into the early nineties, mm-hmm. wouldn't would only pay benefits if, for example. Um, they, uh, the, the doctor deemed the, the care medically necessary. Okay. Well, the problem with that term is that it's really ambiguous. Who's going to determine if something's medically necessary or not. Right. You know, um, they also, uh, some of the older policies required that, uh, you had to be hospitalized first before you could receive long-term care benefits. Mm-hmm. Well, somebody with Alzheimer's or Parkinson's, they're not going to be going into the hospital for right. that. You, you can't get a surgery to help you get over Alzheimer's. Okay. Exactly. So, so uh, there were lots of people who needed care who, you know, who couldn't get any benefits from these older policies because they had those, those gatekeepers, those, those restrictions that wouldn't let them, you know, receive those benefits. And, and, uh, and then another, just another example is that they would also of, often require the older policies would offer often require that uh, somebody had to have, be getting skilled care in order to be able to get custodial care. And just tell the audience so, the difference between skilled and custodial, because most people don't know that. Yeah. So skilled care is rehabilitative care. Right. All right. So uh, help with, uh, you know, physical therapy is an example of skilled care. Mm-hmm. All right. 
So, but, you know, skilled care doesn't last forever. Right. The, the idea behind skilled care is to get what you need and get better mm-hmm. or the therapy stops if you're not improving. Correct. So, you know, so there was lots of people who, again, had these older policies who couldn't access the benefits because they were just needing custodial care. Right. And, you know, 99% of the people who use their long-term care policies need custodial care, not skilled care. Exactly. So, Exactly. And so that, that's just, a, you know, one huge difference between those older policies and the newer policies. And the, uh, the, the big uh, you know, water, you know, watershed mm-hmm. in the industry was in 1997. Right. Well, it actually happened in 1996. When right. the, most people aren't aware that when the federal government passed HIPAA, mm-hmm. there were 12 pages in HIPAA. Devoted to long-term care insurance. That's right, and it created um, it created uh, not just tax benefits for people who buy long-term care insurance mm-hmm. or receive benefits from their policies, but it also created consumer protections. And that was the that, LTCI model regulation, correct? It, well, right. It, it codified that mo- mm-hmm. model regulation from the NAIC, mm-hmm. but then it it also uh, you know it just added a lot of consumer protections that were not in the older policies. That's right. And yeah. what would you say, you know, the most important of those consumer protections was as it pertains to this article and, yeah. you know, policies today that makes, make them policies sold today so much better in my opinion. Well, the, the biggest thing that, the, that HIPAA did for long-term care insurance was to uh, establish needing a, the assistance with the activities of daily living right. as the way of being benefit eligible. Okay, so no more, uh, no more requirement for physical therapy. No mm-hmm. more three day prior hospital stay. No more, uh, you know, whatever. Uh, you, you could no more medically necessary care. Right. The care was just based upon if here's six activities of daily living. If you need hands on assistance with two of those six, or if you need standby assistance with two of those six, you're going to qualify for benefits. Okay. Or of course, with a cognitive impairment, that's right. another way to qualify. Right. But, but it made it so much clearer, so much more obvious, and that's the problem that happened with the first New York Times article on long-term care insurance, which was in two thousand and seven, <laughs> right? Uh, yeah, I believe so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's right, right around then, and and the you know the whole idea behind that article was that claims aren't being paid, and you know what. What they were primarily looking at were claims from policies that didn't have these federal consumer protections. Absolutely. You know, these, yeah. So and and real so, quick, uh, and real so, quick yeah. Scott. In fact, didn't that article and that premise that claims were not being paid lead to an audit by the Department of um, Health and Human Services? It did. Yeah. Okay. So not just an audit by the by the HHS. Mm-hmm. It also there was a there was hearings. There was a, yeah. a Senate. Committee, uh, a committee on aging yep. and held hearings and said, hey, we got to get to the bottom of this, which mm-hmm. is good. I'm yeah. glad they were responsive. That was That's a good right. thing. That's right. And so the Senate commissioned this audit to be done by the Department of Health and Human Services. And they reviewed thousands of long-term care insurance claims and published a report. And they said, hey, guess what? The claims are being paid, that's at, least, right. at least for the policies that meet the federal guidelines. Correct. And that's the key. Yeah. And that was a very comprehensive um, response. I mean, not only did yeah. it uh, confirm that 
claims were being paid, um, mm-hmm. but it confirmed that the insurance companies who had sold those policies, um, mm-hmm. even if some of those had eggs in the market, were still um, honoring their commitments, paying their claims. Um, you know, there is a process you have to go through to get claims paid, just like you do with auto insurance or homeowner's insurance. Um, right. So I, I think that is very important context here for people who are listening. And, you know, we look, let's admit it, Scott, you and I do have a bias towards this industry because it's our sure. what we do for a living. But yeah. I think I want to go back and, and touch on the fact that if these assumptions in this most recent article were true, there would not be a long-term care insurance industry. And I want to touch on one other thing. The data just came out this week. In fact, it was published yesterday. For the last year, 2023, the collective amount of benefits paid by the industry, that includes carriers who are still selling policies and carriers who may have exited the market. We can touch mm-hmm. on that later was $14 billion. Excellent. So, you know, if you're listening to this and you read that New York Times article, because I'll tell you, Scott, I had several people call me, people that I know and say, hey, what's up with this? Noel, is this true? And, you know, I mean, look, I'm happy to defend things. And, but, but, you know, going up against the New York Times is a little, uh, um, what's, what's a word I can use on the radio? Um, (laughs) not much fun. Um, right. But I think that we have enough data to to really to paint a different picture. So yeah, well, and and no, with yeah. that fourteen billion that was paid last mm-hmm. year, that puts the total that the industry has paid over the last you know since since the industry was founded, yeah, you know, mid mid late seventies, that puts the total uh, around two hundred billion. That's correct. That's so correct. Two hundred billion dollars. So. You know, people say, well, you know, long-term care insurance is still relatively new. Well, my my question is, how many billions of dollars of claims do they need to pay before they're not new? That's anymore, right. You know? Before the industry is actually established, you know? Let's let's talk about the other big, you know, headline you often see, and, and this is one that the New York Times has had a lot of, um, you know, fun with, um, is rate increases. Let's talk yeah. about old policies versus new policies, Right. And, mm-hmm. and, and listen, um, the industry, um, and we've talked about, we touched on how, you know, this is a relatively new insurance industry when you consider life insurance goes back to the what, 1200s, 1300s in some sure, form or sure. fashion. Um, yeah. The industry uh, made assumptions based on lapse rates. In other words, they assumed more people would let their coverage go like term insurance, life insurance. Right. The opposite happened. I think less than 2% of people lapsed their policies. They made assumptions on how long people would actually receive care, um, where they would receive care. They made assumptions actuarial that I think they've kind of, you know, based on life insurance. And when you think about life insurance versus long-term care insurance, you know, which is mortality versus morbidity, vastly different, right? So how are today's policies and, and then, you know, today's consumers who buy those policies protected from rate increases versus those policies bought pre-2001 or whenever it was? Yeah, great question. Yeah, and, you know, people will ask me, they'll say, well, you know, uh, I, I won't buy long-term care insurance because I'm afraid of, of big rate increases, okay? Mm-hmm. And I'll say to them, you're 100% correct. You would be 100% correct if 
policies today were priced exactly the way policies were 20 years ago. Right. Okay. But they're not. Okay. I mean, in all 50 states, no insurance company mm -hmm. can price policies today the way they were priced, you know, 20 years ago. Correct. It's impossible that the, the, the policy would not be approved for sale by the by the regulators. Okay. So no policy uses the old pricing rules. Mm -hmm. uh, every policy has to use the most current data, right? Okay? The, the most up-to-date data. And, and no, here's the bad news. You ready? Mm -hmm. Every policy sold today. Yep. Let's say I'll just use Texas because mm -hmm. that's where I'm standing. Sure. Okay? Every policy purchased in Texas today, is the most expensive long-term care insurance policy ever sold in Texas by that company that you're buying it from. That's the bad news. Here's the good news. The policies purchased today here in Texas are the most expensive policies ever sold in Texas by that company. <laughs> the bad news is the good news. That's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and what are some of the factors that um, you know were used to create that to protect consumers from you know bad assumptions? I, I I think listen, I think like many things, it's a snapshot in time. And when long term care insurance companies launched products, it was based on the data they had, right? Yeah. So yeah, yeah. what what is a consumer looking at long term care insurance today? How are they protected? And, and let's talk a little bit more about that. Well, it, and it basically means that all the prior rate increases that, that were in the older policies, mm -hmm. somebody buying a policy today, that rate increase is already in their policy. That's right. So, so it's, it's um, uh, you know, I'll, I'll just tell a consumer, you're not, if, you know, XYZ company sold a policy back in 2005 and they had an 80% rate increase. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, you buy a policy today from XYZ company, it's already got that 80% rate increase in the pricing today. That's right. So you're not going to get hit with that 80% rate increase because you already got hit with it when you bought the policy. It's already included. And look, and Scott, I think people who don't know a lot about the policies in the market are going to say, wow, 80% is a lot. And, and it certainly is to the policy order. But you also have to look at the rate increases on many of these policies, the premiums were very low because they weren't yeah. even priced properly back then. Right. And they were so right. benefit, many of them, not, not the really old policies, but many of the policies had benefits that were really great for the consumer, but not good for the carrier, right? 5% yeah. compound, which is very hard to get today. Lifetime benefits, meaning basically that you could go on claim for 5, 10, 15, 20 years. Now, there, there are some carriers that offer lifetime benefits, but they price those appropriately. Right. So, you know, just for some context, I worked for Genworth, which I loved and I believe is a great company. They went through a lot of challenges around 2015, like the entire industry did. And right. that was because so many claims were coming due for the older policyholders, you know, those old, which we like to call LTC 1.0 um, you know, Steve Kane often uses that, our mutual friend. But those policies were coming, uh, were being paid out based on these 5% compound, lifetime benefits, all these other features, because what happened, right? You had a large number of people around the same age going on claim. 
interest rates were near zero, right? That hurts yeah. the insurance company. So yeah. let's talk a little bit more about that. You know, um, and I run into this conversation all the time, Scott. Oh, well, so-and-so uh, that I know's cousin bought a policy and we got, they got a bunch of rate increases. So when I worked at Genworth, towards the end, I was going out and calling on orphan policyholders. That is policyholders I had no relationship with. They had bought a policy and they got this big rate increase from Genworth. Yeah. And it's not just Genworth. It was John Hancock. It was Mass Mutual. It was everybody who sold policies during that time mm-hmm. frame. What Genworth did and other carriers did was they gave that policyholder several options. Maintain mm-hmm. the coverage as is with the rate increase. Some people could afford that. Some people couldn't. Make mm-hmm. changes to your benefits. Reduce the compound inflation to from 5% to 3%. Reduce your monthly or daily benefit, whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And I'm not, I don't have the data, but I would say I, I visited with well over 200 people in that two-year period. Most people kept their coverage or made some slight changes based on the age they were at that time, right? Sure. So talk a little bit more about that. How's the industry today responding to pricing stuff better? What what data do they have that makes this policy more viable today than it was 20, 30 years ago? Well, they're, they're assuming now that most people will never cancel their policy. Right. Okay. And that's that's another myth about long-term care insurance. I, I forget where I read it because there's so much garbage on the internet. But somebody wrote an article that said, "Well, you know, 33% of the people who buy long-term care insurance cancel it." You know, and 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 it's it's you look at the data, the actual data that the actuaries publish shows that's not true. That's not okay? true. I mean, at all. they've got all the data, and the data shows. You know, maybe, a you know, it's it's a higher percentage in the first year or two. OK, which is basically people just realizing ah, I shouldn't have bought this. Mm-hmm. But then it goes very low. I mean, right. less than one percent per year. That's right. Policyholders will cancel their policy. So long term care insurance suffered because it was so popular. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it's it suffered because people wouldn't get rid of their policies. <laughs> yeah. Right. Because they recognize but, the value of that policy. Exactly right. Even after a rate increase, most oh. people don't cancel their policies. Very few, less than 5% uh, and this, historically um, and cancel I, their policy right. after a rate increase. So and, most will just reduce their rate, their, 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 their benefits or, or just pay the higher premium because they see the value. And, right. uh, but today, I mean, one of the most important things is that um, uh, 41 states, so it's not all 50 states, but mm-hmm. 41 states have what's called the rate stability regulation. And that regulation um, prevents the insurance company from profiting from rate increases. Right. And let's also explain, is, let's also explain yeah. why you're talking about this, because I think it's really useful. How yeah. they, Look, they can't just arbitrarily increase your rates, right? Scott, how do they do that? What's the process? Right. right. And well, uh, except for a couple states. So a couple states, yeah. you don't need any regulatory approval for a rate increase. At right. least one. I know Alaska, you don't need okay. it. But but. But generally speaking, in, in most states, in order to get a rate increase, the insurance companies have to show here's here's what we assumed. You know, here, here's the claims claims that we assumed. Mm-hmm. Well, claims are actually this much higher. So therefore, we need to increase premiums for everybody who has that policy in that state. So, um, um, you know, so they have to get that approval from the regulators and then it's then it's rolled out over time. But um, but. 
most people aren't aware that in those 41 states that now have the rate stability regulation, there's no profit incentive for rate increases. If an insurance company requests a rate increase, they have to lower their profits that they had initially priced into the policy. That's right. And they they have to take some of that profit and put it towards claims. And then the actual rate increase itself doesn't have any profit priced into it, just a small amount for administrative expenses, which mm-hmm. is understandable. Okay? Right. But so, you know, so uh, there, there's, it's it's not like the insurance companies, you know, policies purchased today in those 41 states, it's not like the insurance companies can say, hey, we need to, you know, we need to have a higher, higher profits for our, our, our stockholders next quarter. So That's right. let's raise rates on long-term care insurance. No. It, if they do that, they're actually going to have to lower their profits. And and that's that's the beauty of the rate stability regulation. And it was passed in 2000, December of 2000 is when the, yeah. the rate stability uh, rate stability regulation was was created. Mm-hmm. But it was gradually adopted by each state. Um, right. And currently there's about 41 states that have it. And, that's right. Uh, and, and look, also, you know, it's it doesn't it's not a good look for carriers to go out there and do an arbitrary rate increase. I mean, they're doing this oh, yeah. because they have to, because, look, they, they there were bad assumptions they made. There were things that happened beyond their control. And I'll just use yeah. Genworth as an example, because I am a huge fan of Genworth. Um, I had a lot of clients who called me and were furious. But once I walked them through the history and their options, um, they most of them walked away knowing, look, I'm 80 or 78 I'm going to need long-term care probably within the near future. I need to hold on to this policy. Right. I had many who made right. some changes to bring the premium down. You know, maybe they didn't mm-hmm. need that 5% compound anymore. But right. um, there's a lot of scrutiny on the long-term care insurance industry, as this New York Times article, uh, you know, proves. It's not, And it's not just the New York Times, Scott. I've right. pushed back on a lot of different publications that have put out things that just don't paint the appropriate picture. Um yeah. We're going to wind down in a minute or two, and then we'll go into part two of our conversation. But before we wind down, in previous articles by the New York Times, there was – I'm not going to mention the person's name, but there was a group out there who uh, really had it out for the long-term care insurance industry. I think you know who I'm talking about. And Mm -hmm. they put out a lot of data that just wasn't correct, right? Um, And they omitted a lot of data. Yeah. What do you think can be done to paint a more accurate picture of our industry? Because I will tell you this, Scott. Um, I'm a relatively younger guy. I'm 55. I got in the industry in 2007. I've only had a few few of my policyholders who've gone on claim, hmm. and their family members were very happy with the results. You know, they were dealing yeah. with uh, reputable companies, and and when you get that check from the insurance company that you've paid into all those years. Um, it makes a huge difference. And I think that's a and I think that's a story we need to tell better. But what would you say is something that the industry the, and I'm not talking about the long-term care insurance industry, I'm talking about the New York Times um, and other publications. What should they do to paint a more accurate picture of the person who has a policy or has gone on claim in the past, you know, 20 years? Well, it'd be it would be great for a person like that to be the subject. Of an article. Right. I mean, why not do that? Okay. Why, why pick somebody who had an old policy that didn't even have home care benefits? That's right. And, you know, and most of the benefits today are either received, you know, either most long-term care insurance claims either start at home or end at home. That's right. Okay? And and my mother-in-law, her long-term care insurance claims started at home. Then she went to an assisted living facility. Mm. 
And then her, 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 she moved into my home during COVID. Wow. And, and uh, we had, you know, with her, her policy was beautiful. It paid, paid a ton and it made a huge difference. Okay. I, I, that's, so, a, that's exactly you know, what I wanted to hear. So um, today, uh, today's conversations with Scott Olson of the LTC shop. I'm really excited to have had him on. Um, we're going to be doing a part two of this conversation, which will be available after we get this first one edited. And I just wanted to thank everyone for listening to What's Your Plan. Again, What's Your Plan is generously produced by dcradio.gov and is available. Um, it can be heard on 96.3 HD4 weekdays at 8 a.m. So if you're driving around or on your elliptical or whatever you're doing, uh, give it a listen because we have wonderful guests like Scott every week. And I think um, you can walk away with some really good information on how to plan for your future with long-term care and caregiving. And I'm your host, Noel Evans. You've been listening to What's Your Plan with long-term care specialist, Noel A. Evans. For more information, click the Programs tab and the What's Your Plan page at dcradio.gov.